Hi, welcome. This is the second episode of APC Chats. Uh, we have with us the founders of Strange Land Brewery here in Austin. A wonderful, I would say beautiful beer because I don't drink beer, but I love this beer. We have Timothy Klatt and Adam Blumenshine, as well as Sunday Vidal, who's my partner and sister. And we're just going to talk about all things uh, startup, kind of the hustle and the not so glamorous, amazing free life that it is to kind of pursue your own your own ambition your own dream and so welcome timothy and adam thanks for having us thank you uh so talk to us tell us about what you do and how you got here and just a little bit about that journey oh the journey so my background i'm basically a serial entrepreneur i'm a starter um i i like to collaborate partner with somebody tim in is my partner in strangeland and we founded this business um, looking for the gaps that we saw in the marketplace for beer here in Austin and Central Texas. And we saw this proliferation of the modern beer, and we felt like it was missing um, character and depth and history and tradition and roots. Um, you could make a case that all beer is rooted in history, and certainly that is the case, but we felt like some of the things that were left behind by the modern brewers were the things that made beer beautiful. The elegance, the, the depth of flavor, the things that you spoke to drinking our beer that you felt it was beautiful and other beers don't experience that way for you. So we are looking to create that brand um, and hoping it would resonate with people and actually maybe assumed it would resonate too easily with a large group of people. So the hustle and the grind uh, starts there for us. And so Tim and I started the brand three years ago, been open for two and a half years now, and uh, Tim makes all of our beer, and uh, we collaborate on the rest of it. So my background's in mechanical engineering. I uh, worked for the Air Force for four years after wow. graduating from school here in, in Austin. And I just wanted to make beer for a living, and I got hooked up with Adam, and um, I was looking for him to help me get an internship somewhere at some brewery in town here and he had other ideas so it's all his fault <laughs> i'll take that blame yeah that's a good thing to be blamed for part of what we've seen even just starting our own business and just by way of background it was a website we register like at two in the morning at my mom's house and when a client asked us to kind of formalize an agency and take away business and it's a big client it's like a, a huge brand it was like, uh, what? Like, how do we do this? And it's a labor of love. I joke that it's like duct tape and prayers and family favor. How have you guys been um, been received by the market? And what are some of the things that you do to make sure that you stay kind of aligned to vision and mission and just keep opening the doors? You know, that's an evolving situation for us as the market has changed tremendously in craft beer. When we got in, it was actually a viable model to be draft only, meaning just put your beer in a keg, you know, advertise it by word of mouth and people are going to buy it and all things are good. But that that's not the case anymore. There's, I think I read 189 craft breweries in Texas. Wow. We yeah. were about 50 at the time when we were starting. Um, so we've had to adjust uh, from a draft-only model, then move over to Bombers. That's the large format beers. Um, that's the beers I prefer to drink. They tend to be a little higher in alcohol, more flavor. And then that model has died. Um, nobody is buying those. Uh, each year you're seeing a third decrease of the marketplace off of that particular uh, style of packaging. So 
we've had to adjust one more way, and that is in cans. And that's every beer consumed is basically in a can. It's 90 plus percent of the marketplace and package. And what's crazy is Tim and I started from a point of view with that history that we talked about. We naturally condition our beer, meaning it goes into the package flat. The carbonation is created inside the, the package. And so nobody's ever done that in a can. Is that why I don't bloat? That's why you don't blow. That's right. <laughs> Which is why women, I feel like, you don't yeah. like beer. Yeah. 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 Sorry. That's a little girl. No, that's great. No, <laughs> that's we, I love morning. it. And, and there's other benefits to it, too, that I could geek out on. But for, for now, I'll just stick to how challenging that was for us. Tim and I had to blow some cans up to figure out how to do this. We've spent my kids' tuition and kids Tim's college <laughs> tuition for his kids figuring how to put yeah. beer in a can flat and then carbonate it and then have some blow up and figure out what we did wrong or what we should change. Uh, and so that's been a really challenging thing. So I'd say that the challenge, maybe I've wandered too far off the question, but you asked, uh, how has the market received us? I think when we have started to perfect the canning uh, conditioning process, the market is receiving us more and more as we've perfected it. And so we've struggled the first year of being in a package to perfect that in a way that it resonated with the new palates. Because the way we make beer is an old way, but trying to to make it modern. And and so Tim speaks a lot about that. I'd love Tim to talk about the, the modern. And just for the record, this is the place to geek out. We have headsets and microphones and this is Geek level high. <laughs> yeah, geek, geek level, level high. high. Um, okay, so what do you want me to talk about? Modernity? Yeah, I, would love, I think that's a, a beautiful thing that, that speaks to who Strangeland is. Uh, sure, so the, the name Strangeland comes from Walker Percy, who was an author writing outside of uh, New Orleans in the 1950s. He was a medical doctor. Um, he talked about the malaise of modernity. He had prescribed essentially all of 1950s America as full of malaise. Um, really? Yeah. And so I wonder what, what, yeah, I wonder what he would think about, you know, 2017 America. Um, but we thought that that was a really fun uh, motif to play on the strange land. He had a collection collection of essays called Signposts in a Strange Land, mm-hmm. and we thought bringing that into the beer space um, would fully root us not only in history, uh, but also modernity, post modernity, and give us a chance to just kind of play so with the name are you celebrating the malaise are you trying to kind of make a point or what is i think we're trying to um make beer that's relevant Uh and true not only for ourselves but also for history and not not taking the shortcut that's right and i think that we're trying to diagnose if you will the current market Uh uh environment if you will and um so this Diagnosis. is the prescription. What's that? This is the prescription. Yeah, yeah you okay. bet. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Okay. And I guess part of why we wanted to connect with you is just that there's a lot of hype, especially we're in Austin, right? Austin locals. And, I, I'm, you know, however long we've been here in the 90s, um, raising families, raising kids, and, and then we have this whole universe that just kind of descends on Austin during South By. 
And there's a lot of pomp. There's a lot of substance at the same time that I think probably gets mis- mistaken as pomp because there's really good ideas. And just like it's a city that welcomes new thinking and, and people coming to the table from film and music and interactive and talking about what's next and what are we doing and what have we learned and how are we going to progress. So I, I celebrate that because I feel like, you know, in my mind, anytime you have people coming together to talk and, and discuss what's next and what's new and just be a little vulnerable with that, is something to be celebrated, but I feel like it also kind of takes away from some authenticity. And, you know, people don't celebrate the hard as often as they need to. So we wanted to kind of do the juxtaposition of, let's just talk about the dirtiness of startup life, which is, it is kids' tuition, potentially. It is, please make the grades or please get into sports so that somehow you just get to go to college in a way that doesn't, you know, hurt the bank. So I feel like... Uh, from our position and from our perspective, we want to hear yours of just like what is that like, and how do you how do you grapple with that to kind of keep moving forward? So when we started the company, we did what most entrepreneurs do: is you look at an optimistic point of view and assume that things are going to be well received in the marketplace, and then react according if and when they're they're not as well received. And so we, we did funding from friends and, friends and family, and that got us about a year and a half into our startup. Um, and then, then, then we looked for real capital partners to come aside of us. And then when that happens, uh, certainly you are now not a single vision anymore. You're a part of a bigger picture, and your opinion is one of many instead of one of one. And now you're all uh, pulling on this thing, uh, hopefully equally, and so it, it's more centered. Um, it's like a picture frame. If you all pull at four points, it's well framed. If it's one pulling too hard, it's a triangle and you crop out some important parts of a picture. And so that's what I try to see us do, uh, is, uh, from a sales point of view, maybe that's where I'm coming from and see what the market's going to receive. Tim very likely comes at it from a, uh, a maker's point of view and tries to make beer that is uh, quality controlled. And we have our capital partners looking at growth and strategy and within all that you lose a part of yourself yeah you know like part of adam had to die inside of strange land because if, if it didn't then i was part of the reason strange land was going to die yeah and so you pick yourself instead of the company and is that the part to that, die? <laughs> yeah. yeah is that the part that wants to keep it small that's the part that wants to keep it small yeah, yeah that's the part that wants to be a bar mm-hmm. sell to my 427 best friends and uh, have Austin's version of Cheers, a TV say, show. Sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> we have the warehouse in the back. Let's yeah. do it. The problem is, and we learned pretty soon after starting our business, is that you need you know 427,000 people, not 427 people. And so yeah. you have to expand your vision, and then that part of yourself that dies um, should also, when you mature as an entrepreneur, celebrate. Mm-hmm. What the new thing that's created and softly mourn the death of the thing that died and celebrate the thing that's new. Uh, and that's all very hard to do. It's yeah. complicated and you're trusting that the other partners in your business are doing the same thing. Yeah. Kind of sounds like my relationship issues. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is cozy yet very sad. Do we need to talk? <laughs> Maybe yeah, not on this yeah. moment, but eventually, yeah, probably. Next I, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the joining together forces or, you know, dreams or ambitions, you, you do have to kind of 
take your ego out of it because some of it is going to be driven by that original idea, but a lot of it has to be morphed in the exchange and then in the reception from a consumer perspective. Yeah, and, and I want to talk just for one second on the fact that the thing that makes an entrepreneur charge ahead and say yes is the self-confidence and the belief mm-hmm. in self. Yeah, yeah. And then asking that same person to then die, part of themselves die because they don't have the, all the answers, that's very hard to, to pull yeah. off quickly. And, and that's why a lot of small businesses fail. I, I see a lot of people... Uh, get in the way of their brand and if they would just open themselves up to uh, other people's influence a a better understanding of what is needed they could have a successful brand and be happy with what they've created but it just it's really hard to ask an entrepreneur to do all that does that is that where the partnership comes in timothy do you feel kind of the gut check and the the second yeah i don't i mean i'm i'm not sure if y'all have picked up on this or not but one of us is an optimist (laughs) And uh, the other one of us would Is be an engineer by a bit more on the skeptical side. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, Adam and I have been working on this since 2011. Um, and essentially both of us have been living under the poverty level since then. We have seven kids between, you know, our two families. Uh, so that's one little uh, messy aspect of this whole endeavor. Um but it's also, like we were talking before we started recording, um, just about, I think there's a false sense of security out there in the in the mm-hmm. marketplace mm-hmm. where like, oh, you know, I'm set, I have a job, it's secure. Um, and so I think people start to inflate their lifestyles to match that supposed security. Um, so the one, you know, bright side of this whole, all the skepticism is that, you know, uh, I believe in downward mobility and I feel like there are many forms of wealth and uh, if you can make it work on very little money, yeah. then you can free yourself up to do yeah. crazy stuff like this. Which is amazing. Yeah, because you have the freedom to be creative. That's right. When you don't have the yeah. burden of, yeah. But I do think that one of the one of the good aspects of, of our partnership is that Adam hits it from one side I hit it yeah. from the other and and generally we fall somewhere in between that's true you it's I heard somebody I think it was um, a friend of my mother's a friend of my mom a friend of her mom and she said they you know a good relationship they round out each other's edges you know kind of just those sharp edges it's a good partnership yeah yeah you bet we both we both have pretty sharp edges that they've they've been chiseled a little bit <laughs> We know nothing about that nothing as sisters. Nothing at all. <laughs> uh, because there is, I feel like um, there's some grace in that and not to get you know, overly spiritual or fluffy, but I, I think there's some really beauty in that exchange of like, I have frontal lobe issues. You have science back, you know what I mean? Because I feel like to be, to be an entrepreneur to, to kind of go off on your own way, it means that somehow, and this is like an Emerson talking about old, a little bit older, um, authors, thinkers, transcendentalists, but like to believe your own truth and that what's true for you is true for everyone. That's like genius. And I'm like, well, is it? <laughs> but I feel like as an entrepreneur, like that you kind of have to believe that you have a formula. Yes. Uh, and that's scary because it means that there's some supposing that you're right, which isn't necessarily. That is way, way outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I come from a point of view that and I'm not necessarily right, but I have something valuable to share. And you do, because yeah. we've tasted yeah. the multiple creations from Adam, and beautiful is one word, but they're just, yeah, it's quality, top-notch. Awesome. 
Delicious. What would, what advice would you give to people who want to kind of break out from their cush position, their low level position that may not be so cush, but that want to kind of strike out and do their own thing? The first thing I would, and I, I do that periodically. I have friends that send me college grads or college dropouts that um, I think this is number seven or eight business business I've started. So they they look at me as somebody that has answers. Maybe I'm the opposite guy because I've started so many that I should I should not have started so many. Maybe the first one should have been successful, and that would have been proof enough. But anyway, so I have have people that send young kids my way, and they ask advice like, "What should I do? What should I?" prepare myself for and the first thing I say is become an expert on something like really know what it is that you plan to strike out and do and understand the market as well as what you are going to offer it and so don't be so blind to be ideological and and assume that because you love it everybody's going to love it and Mm so knowledge of whatever you're going to start out on is so important and then there has to be a passion to back it up and drive it through and and um, to execute. And then I totally recommend looking for somebody that offers skill sets that you do not have. And so a balance. A, a balance. And Tim is that for me. Um, and previous businesses, I didn't have that. And so I had to hire those people. And they were not long-term partners. And they weren't as stable because they weren't as committed to the project and so I was excited to find Tim in a completely different skill set and background and a way to process information. I'm maybe more artistic, not to say that Tim isn't, but I come at it from a very um, optimistic, let's figure it out kind of a way. And Tim wants to process it even before we start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to process it after I've finished. <laughs> and learned. <laughs> and learned. And spent yeah. some money trying to figure out how to make it work. So the collaboration is essential for my personality type, but I think everybody has their weaknesses and their strengths. And knowing those and filling those gaps is essential to success. And then lastly, of course, capital. Mm-hmm. There's no way to, to, to pull off a business in a city as competitive as this um, without having resources, mm-hmm. deep resources and and. and for a lot of people, it's business acumen that they lack. So you have to find a capital partner that doesn't just give you uh, money, but strategy. Right. And so if it's your first business, you'll probably need strategy and money in equal parts. If it's your eighth business, maybe you need less strategy, more money. Uh, and so add some zeros to your plan as well, because bad, I almost said bad S stuff happens. Bad, mm-hmm. bad yeah. stuff happens. And yeah. so you're, you have to plan accordingly. Any thoughts, Tim? Yeah, what he said. Um, <laughs> that. <laughs> Mic drop. That's funny. No, I think there's there's value in, in finding a partner that um, compliments you and um, rounds out the edges. And, um, yeah, and I, like I just said, I think freeing yourself up to being able to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people that want to start a brewery, want to start a brew pub. You know, there's there's software engineers making $120,000 a year right now, and um, they've structured their lives around that, and that's not really going to work. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's 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 the what you really desire. You have to align those with a realistic expectation. So, do you desire a business or do you desire a comfortable life? And so, if you desire the comfortable life, a startup is not mm. not your thing. Mm. That's the corporate desk that is going to offer very little 
uh, satisfaction, but it's going to give you a comfortable place to land. And that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, is where all too many Americans find themselves. Yeah. It's like piercing through my heart right now <laughs> for those listening. Um, well, and then it's also not for everybody, right? Because you do have to be a little okay with being uncomfortable. And you I think one year, not too in a distant past, I did my taxes. And I'm like, I make what? <laughs> That's like nothing when you when you put it all on paper and it's just like yeah that sounds like it makes sense but then when you kind of dial in it's just like wow you take a pay cut and even though your life is more flexible and more meaningful it isn't what it used to be in terms of finances so it's that's not for everybody that comfort level right yes and of course it puts a stress on any home life that you have Uh, i have four kids uh, a wife of uh, soon to be 19 years and We've gone through the ups of income and the downs of no income, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it it can collapse or strengthen a mm-hmm. relationship at home too. So, on your eighth venture, how does that how has that been as a couple, kind of getting through the she's, ups and downs? She's numb. <laughs> hey, uh, she's a keeper. Then. Yeah, she's a keeper. She's not going anywhere. Very supportive, um, and. I would say that that was 10 years ago. Some light bulbs went on in her head that more money doesn't equate into happiness Mm -hmm. and uh, my work travels and more commitments on the road. um, They just didn't bring value to the home and my home Mm -hmm. life. And so shifting gears, downsizing, as Tim spoke to the downward mobility, we did that in grand scale and, um, and I've never been happier. Of course, the the stark fear that are your dreams at mm-hmm. night instead of hopes and dreams or just fears. You wake up at two o'clock in the morning thinking about all the things that you didn't do, can't do because you don't have the working capital, the, the exploding cans in the warehouse, all those things you just have to embrace and um, put a plan. And, and, and I'd say that that's when the, the deepness of your team, the four or mm-hmm. five or six of mm-hmm. you needs to start, start sharing the weight. Otherwise, yeah. mm-hmm. you'll find yourself bitter and frustrated that you're the only one dealing with it. How come everybody else is sleeping? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's not me. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel that way at all, Tim. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so you sleep well, Tim? Uh, Some, done, sometimes. I, I've done my job. He doesn't sleep anymore. <laughs> it, it could be because he's planned it out, right? Yeah. So before yeah. he starts, there is a strategy and a plan, right? That's true. Yeah. I, I, I'm a firm believer in not looking at any electronics after 9 p.m. Ooh, Ooh, that would change everything. Yes, that's that's a big help. Wow, we've started. This is more information than anyone needs to know. But we've started going to bed listening to um, the Netflix on um, baking show, like the British baking show. There's something about British voices at night that is so calming. I also feel like my English gets better. Anyway, <laughs> I don't sleep that well at night, so I understand the frustrations that you feel, Adam. Not so much Tim, but you. Question on raising kids from the startup life. You said you have seven kids between the two of you. What does that look like when you're talking about grades or jobs or hard work? Oh, that's good. So you should see his eyes. It was it was priceless. They were dancing. <laughs> um, so we have three kids: uh, two, seven, and nine. Uh, the older two are, are being homeschooled at the moment. So my wife's staying wow. home with them. Yep. And they're doing some really cool stuff, uh, like they're into algebra and wow. uh, and 
memorizing poetry, Shakespeare, seven and nine uh, that's, Yates. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. yeah, they're doing some really amazing stuff. So and instead of the microbrewery, they're doing kombucha. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kombucha's <laughs> happening at home. Uh, water kefir, lots of fermentations yeah. going on. I got them. We have a little garden. I have put them on snail patrol all day. Really, we have lots of snails up in Brentwood. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, Adam and I talk about this. Like, I don't even know what college is going to look like, you know, in nine years yeah. when the nine-year-olds get into there. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like so. We have a couple companies between the two of us, and um, I think that our goal is to have a company for each of the seven kids to run. By the time they get up there, three more to go. Yep. So. So just more of an independent. No. It's no, independent. Yeah. 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 I mean, so there's a movement called unschooling. Yeah. Uh, we're not quite there. It's it's this is more of like a, a postmodern approach to what's called the Charlotte Mason mm-hmm. educational philosophy or originated in Britain. Um, like Captain Fantastic. I don't know that. No. I don't see that. Well, it's, it's like it's like city school. Okay. Well, the school that the kids are It's at. city school yeah. at home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so well, I don't know. I think, you know, to succeed in the, the future marketplaces, you just have to be flexible. Flexible. You have to be smart. You have to be hardworking. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to get smartphones for a long, long time. Good. Um, so I kind of feel bad for them at some point. But you know, I was, pressure. I was yeah. raised by Saved by the Bell and then Simpsons and Seinfeld. Zach. Zach Attack. Slater. AC Slater. That's right. Screech. Jesse Spano. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just think back to my childhood and like at public school in San Antonio, uh, lots of TV. Um, I graduated at the top of my class somehow. And uh, I don't know. Like, it's just so weird. Like, we're. Do- so I guess my wife and I are just trying to set our kids up as best as we can. Um, but they are like the nerds that I made fun of growing up. And now they seem so smart, right? There's yeah. people that were just in the zone doing oh, yeah. their own thing. Oh my God, what would it have been like to be in them? Um, what about you, Adam? Wow. Uh, so we did the homeschooling thing as well um, and discovered that our first uh, child had dys- dyslexia and really struggled with homeschooling and, and t- in reaching her and teaching her. And so... We reached out and found City School we referenced earlier. It's a small Christian school in South Austin. And um, that became a solution for what Tim has described as happening in his home. And uh, I would say that that's been instrumental in giving me a sense of of rest uh, to have a place like that. And I can sink myself into work and and not be worried about what they might be missing out on. They're getting all that Tim is able to give his kids, but in, in a smaller school classroom size of about nine or 10. And um, I like them being plugged into a school like that and then also being a part of the things that, witnessing what I'm creating and the work that I'm doing and coming to the brewery and seeing fermentation and seeing the bar and seeing a celebration of our tasting room a chance to uh, reflect on the accomplishments of the week and the friends that you haven't seen in a month, a place to to bring your friends together and, and mm-hmm. celebrate their life as well. And I love having them come and experience that with me and find friends. Uh, my friends bring their kids and they play together outside, and that just seems amazing. And 
I think at least two of my children have got the entrepreneur bug because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to create anytime I pickle things at home. I have one on my hip pickling, gardening, snail patrol, all that stuff. And then I have one that when I'm at the brewery doesn't leave my side, wants to really? watch me pour beer, clean glassware, talk about what's in the fermenters, how long it takes. Uh, we make uh, water kefir and kombucha at home as well. And so I think that college might not be a fit for everybody. It wasn't for me. Um, and I don't think it'll be for uh, probably two of my children as well. And, you know, we have three businesses, soon to be four businesses, and I have one more in my mind that would make it five for Tim and I. And, um, you know, maybe there'll be five that will run the companies in 10 or 15 years. That's incredible. So you, we've talked about one business. What are the other two, just for the benefit of those listening? Uh the first business that we started actually making money in a product was a pickle company. It's Hat Creek Provisions, soon to be called Hat Creek Probiotics. And that is going nationwide with a couple of major retailers. And it's fermented, never cooked, probiotic, all natural, amazing pickles and sauerkraut and kimchi and okra and probiotic yeah. beverages and super healthy, yeah. uh, an amazing lifestyle product. But but one that tastes great too. It, it adds to both the plate and palate and your, and your health. Um, Tim talked me into Texas sake. That's amazing. Well, isn't that winning awards? It is winning award yeah. winning. Yeah, award winning Texas sake. You heard it here. Where folks. can you find it? We don't sell it. I mean, should we sell <laughs> the product? Yes, it's just so it's good to keep it all. We're, we're big on the scarcity play. <laughs> okay, um, like it's working. No, you know, Whole Foods. Okay, HEBs. It's Select amazing. HGVs. London. London. Yeah, London. Nice. We just shipped a pallet to London. Uh, inroads into uh, Toronto as well. And um, looking for uh, another distributor to help us in new markets for that product. But yeah, and I mean, the tap room is uh, open Fridays and Saturdays. It's in the middle of town. It's right behind, Bo- right behind Book Women off North Lamar. I mean, you've driven past it mm-hmm. really? okay. a million times. You just never knew it was there. Yeah, it was there. So it's kind of a strange land approach to... Saki. Envision where book women would throw their trash away mm-hmm. and that we're right next door to that <laughs> in the back. What's oh. in the trash? And we, <laughs> and we, have, we have some very uh, colorful neighbors there. Um, so yeah, it's, you can't, this is a family show too. That's right. No, just <laughs> go, get, go get some sake on the weekends, wander around the parking lot, take in the, the sights. It is delicious. You have to do, it is wonderful. To get you some. And then... Um, we have some top secret products that we're working on that are part of fermentation and beverage world. And, um, we've gotten through the R and D on one of them and, uh, it's should be on the shelf in the next six months or so. Tim, Kim, I would love you to talk about my six months windows. Uh, yeah. So for, for Adam, everything is six months out, right? right that's true. <laughs> kind of on a, a rotating basis. So it's anytime six months you ask from him. the moment that I say it, make it so, yes, make it so. So that that's going to be an exciting one for us and f- possibly the biggest play for us. And then there's one that we'll tag onto that uh, that I'm super excited about. I feel like there's a big gap in the market in that one as well. So from a gap-filling perspective, you obviously have a passion for fermentation. You've mastered a process. The quality of products that I've been able to taste through Sunday have been incredible. Is it is it about gap-filling or is it about interest plus gap-filling? What do you... Well, certainly interest. Uh, so as it sits now, a, a great sort of way to think about how interest and gap fill 
come together is sake. Uh, the sake we make is beautiful. And we looked on the shelf and went through a conference and heard that fruited beverages are exploding through the roof. And I love fruited beverages. Uh, some of my favorite beers are framboise. They're Belgian fermented, very dessert forward. Um, and so sake will infuse uh, some local peaches and we'll release a, a peach sake soon. And so that is a gap oh, wow. filling thing yeah. that I'm passionate about. Tim, maybe not so much on the fruit, but, but it's where the market is at. And I'm excited about releasing that product. And then looking beyond what the shelves are missing, but what sort of comes out of sake is a product called sochu. And it's a distilled rice wine uh korean by background and it is amazing it's like um really clean scotch uh, or bourbon that's just delicate and and uh floral and um nutty where are you doing tasting for these new inventions uh you know if you go to the the sake uh akira you'll you'll get a chance to experience the oak and and the sake cocktails and the um, amazing sake tonics and the sake aritas all those things are being created there and then if you get to know jeff or toji who's the brewmaster there he might pull out some sochu in the back and share it with you noted it's so (laughs) delicious and then then the uh other fermented things are part of tim and i's life we ferment things and eat them at home drink them at home share them with the kids for um, soda replacements yeah. for immune b- boosts for probiotic intake um, and I could talk about why that came in my life but it's certainly it's about health mm-hmm. and um, and those I feel like there's something missing like there was something missing in the beer world mm-hmm. Strangeland filled a need and what we saw was missing in the marketplace our kombucha will, will do the same excellent yeah, I think that somehow both of us have a propensity to find the gaps. Like that's just where we're naturally oriented mm-hmm. in terms of whatever product you're talking about. Um, so I think that we've just embraced that. And I think that makes what we're doing compelling because people are like, oh, you're doing that. That's interesting. <laughs> I feel like there's two different, and I spend a lot of time in the Bay, and so there's a whole different mentality when you talk about startups or starting your own business, whatever it may be, not necessarily affiliated with tech. And there's a, it's not a get rich quick, it's just this is an avenue that the only way you can really make some real money is to have a stake in it or to make it your own. It's like, well, that's a look. But I feel like what you're trying to do with your artisan product, because it is artisan products, it's, it's about the quality it's about understanding that here's the market they're lacking this we can create that through our methods and techniques so i i feel like it's a little different and i wonder how much of that is the austin community because i feel like austin and its history and just the kind of people that attracts even now they want to do it differently so how does that influence kind of your ambition um this place that's a good question i've never looked at it through that lens uh not me as a person it has an influence that i was born like that i was the the nerd listening to the music that nobody else was listening to or what kind of music well back in the day it was punk and in southern minnesota there's i mean like new york dolls yeah oh man i was in the california punk scene too so um and the brit stuff and in 
that wasn't a part of what was happening where I grew up. And then I was the nerd that kid that Tim was describing. Uh, poetry was something I fell in love with early on in writing. And so I, I'm not looking to what everybody else is doing. It just doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me as, as deep as something new. But I would say that being in a community like Austin where it embraces new rapidly mm-hmm. and uh, values that, it maybe gives me a sense of freedom to present that knowing it will be received. And so that, that I've never given that much thought, but I, I feel like that's true. I feel like there's a respect for um, the vulnerability of kind of branching out and trying your own thing. And the, the support, I got trapped here during Hurricane Sandy after I left my firm. Mm-hmm. And it's like I started the business because of friends, literally sitting me down with other friends to be introduced and kind of have conversations about what they were doing. So I feel like it is an abnormally supportive community, even though it has grown. And there are elements of LA or San Francisco or New York that are kind of moving here. But I feel like the the core of what Austin is and what it attracts is people who are seeking the same. And and I think it makes it different. I don't know if you feel that way, Tim. I do. I think that there's a vibrancy to Austin. Um, again, as a skeptic, I would say there's a lot of hype yeah. as well. Um, but I think we have a very open market. Um, people are very open to new things and people are doing a lot of really cool things. So we're, we're, I, I've, I feel very fortunate to be here to be kind of in this, in this space and allowed to do the crazy stuff that we're doing. We talked a little bit about, and I just have a few more questions. The unglamorous, um, kind of and glorious, right? So the, the, what do we call it? Gorious? Because it is gory and yeah. and joyous. <laughs> what are some of the most unglamorous or gory moments that you've experienced as, as entrepreneurs, as dream makers? For me, um, I was the, the face and in some way am the face of the business. Tim likes to hide in the corner and, and make the beer. And, and as, as soon as the bar mm-hmm. opens up, he scoots out the back door and vapors, and everyone's like, where'd Tim go? Like, yeah, he does that. But as the face, there's this unglorious uh, job of when there is a soft recall. Uh, you, you're pulling product off the shelf as fast as you can because it may explode. And so that's like uh, driving to every store, buying all the stuff that is that particular batch off the shelf, and talking with the buyers and describing, you know, what they should be looking for, the problems that we're experiencing, um, and that is taxing on the spirit. It's it's like you question what you're doing as a company and your approach, and is this a viable path that we're on? And then simple little things like running your staff so tight because of payroll is just going to be hard to make. So just before the bars open, my hand's been in a toilet, cleaning the toilet in the corners and uh, changing um, trash cans out and mopping the floor and squeegeeing the floor. And then when the bar closes, I do that again. And um, I've served five, seven, eight hundred beers that night in between and talked to 500 people and then do it again the next day. That's intense. How yeah. much of that feels like, sometimes we joke, it feels like a performance. Like there's a, yeah. what everybody gets, then there's what you deal with behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Ho- it is exhausting. That's hosting. I, I grew up in a a very 
host-forward family. My mom, my grandma were just wonderful hosts. And that's maybe from the era that they were raised in where the women did the work in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not have a father in the home, so I was raised by a pack of women. So that's my model. That's what I learned. And mm-hmm. that's the value that was put on me. And so I feel like I'm honoring my family's tradition of hosting well with those that come to my place of business. That's lovely. That's beautiful. What about you, Tim? The gory. So on the gory side, I mean, <laughs> so we run very lean companies. There's no HR department. There's no. Uh, there's no buffer between the owners, operators, and the guys that guys and gals that we're employing. You know, so uh, this you know. Adam, I think, has a more natural uh, ability to to deal with people. It's harder for me dealing with people. You know, I'm a uh, reclusive engineer type. Um, so there, there's anytime you're you're dealing with a, a couple different people, like it's just messy, or it can be at least. <laughs> um, but then also, I mean, very literally, uh, product uh product going bad i mean we've had a couple things like in the development of uh, the pickle company adam forgot to uh, mention this but uh we actually started the pickle company in the bowels of the ut football stadium um make it go away and uh how does that work uh, yeah how does that work (laughs) it did not good question but uh for example you know, first, uh, we tried a couple things with the pickles, you know, on a, making a pound or two here or there. Everything was going good. We're like, okay, let's scale it to, I don't know, 500 pounds. Um, what could go wrong with that? So let's just say, like, you know, it was less than a success. And so now you have uh, 500 pounds and 500 gallons of rotting cucumber mass uh, in a facility that's not set up to deal with stuff like that, at, at least easily, or no, at least you, that we knew of. You're so. wheeling product down and through the bowels of the UT Stadium, past the cheerleaders practicing, past the football uh, athletes, and into the basement and scooping bucket at a time into the trash can. Oh, my goodness. All and un- unfortunately, I was, I was tied up at that moment. Oh, yes. So <laughs> yes. Somehow, yeah. I recall. At, this fell to Adam only. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, we've had, uh, sauerkraut experiences where, you know, we're, we're dumping hundreds of pounds of rotted cabbage. Um, but you know, so that's, that's the gory right there like that. Uh, but, but from that, you know, it's like we, we got our, uh, processes cleaned up. Uh, we learn tons and you can only learn those things by doing it, you know, by going through that. Um, and and you know I did want to share like when things like that happen, I, my natural inclination is to just like stop, kind of freak out internally, pretend I, and not not pretend, but just like I never want to go back there again. And like I looked at him like, what are we gonna do? He's like, make more sauerkraut. Yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. But what if it doesn't work? Doesn't matter. You still got to make it. Yeah. You know, we have to figure this out. So. And you have perfected that process at least think, in my opinion i think we have I, i've not tasted sauerkraut. i've not tasted better sauerkraut and that's um a heritage as well grandma uh preserved in in the root cellar that my grandfather built for her in the basement of the house that he built for her and they just preserved all the gardening work of the summer through mm-hmm. 
uh, fermentation. We didn't call it fermentation. You just call it preserving. And you'd go just peel off sauerkraut and pickles and beets out of the root cellar, uh, serving at a time. Wow. Um, and uh, it's it's essentially her process, her approach carried forward. And Tim's uh, approach uh, cleaned it up and made it scalable. And um, yeah, I, I love I love the flavor. So is this somewhat of a homage to the women that raised you? Yeah, I'm really on International Women's Month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Women's Month. Yeah. It worked out. So yes, uh, my grandmother. If I talk much, uh, I won't be able to talk much at all about her. She was the hero of my life, and and my mother as well. And they um, instilled a work ethic uh, in me and a desire to create and honor those that you're sharing it with by what you've created. And so, yeah, I'd definitely say that. I love that. And I feel like there's so much that you don't get. And that's one of the reasons I think I was even convinced to do this is because like there's some beautiful stories behind brands that we love or brands mm-hmm. that we purchase or brands that we overlook. And it's just if you just knew more, not different than people, if you knew more about where they're coming from or what their intentions are, it's just, it's disarming and it makes you want to try it. It makes you want to celebrate it. It makes you want to go out and buy it and advocate for it. So we believe in, in your product, obviously. And now just knowing more about your story, it's that much more. Um, and I think it's funny that you're honoring the women in your life by creating beer that doesn't make women bloat, which is amazing. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> but it, it is, you are the creator of beautiful products and for three businesses. And I can't wait to see what you do with the next four so. Thank you for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having us. us.